Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Welcome to 2017, heroes, and to another year of Modifier. Before we get started, I want to let you know that I will be at Dreamation this February 16th through 19th in Morristown, New Jersey, and I'll be running the Tales of the Crystals Milton Bradley game slash LARP from 1993 in its entirety. You can sign up for any of the four sessions when registration is open, and it's going to be a great time. Or just say hi if you're there at the con. Hopefully I get to play a few games myself. This week, we're talking about playing RPGs with kids, and it's a subject I've been looking forward to talking about for a while. It's also one that I'm sure we'll be returning to, since there's just so much to talk about. Getting us started is the wonderful John Harness, who's behind the RPGs for Kids Facebook group and has been running games for younger players for several years now. He's a delight to play with, whatever your age, and I'm so glad to have him on to share his knowledge. Let's get to the show. Joining me this week is John Harness, and he's here to talk about running games for kids. John, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Hi! Hello. Who are you? Uh, Yeah, my name is John Harness. (laughs) I live in Chicago. Um, I run a weekly Dungeon World Games for 9 to 12-year-olds, and I founded and more or less run the Facebook page RPGs for Kids. And so I've talked a lot with people about running RPGs for kids and with kids and by kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that's, that's me. Awesome. Would would 9 to 12 be kind of your uh, age of expertise, or do you run for other ages? Yeah, I have dabbled in some other things, but my weekly game for four or three, going on four years, has been with middle schoolers, and they're my, they're my favorite sort of group. I um, work in an art museum as my day job in the education department there, doing things like um, tours for school groups and things like that, and mm-hmm. one time... The best compliment I ever got, I think, was that a middle school teacher turned to me after a tour with his students and said, you know, you'd make a pretty good middle school teacher. And I was like, yes! Oh, well, that's, great that's about really that. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that age is my favorite age group, I think, too. They're just, there's something about, they're just starting to figure themselves out that's that's so yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, in the, they're in the sweet spot of the Venn diagram between, like, Innocent and thoughtful and imaginative and, like, not assholes and prepubescent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's not a Venn diagram. Yeah. Maybe that's just being not teenagers. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good place. I like it. Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. So um, do you want to talk about RPGs for Kids, the the Facebook group at all? Or, um, or what? yeah, what is that? It's, um, to my knowledge, currently the largest group of people talking about um, RPGs for Kids. That includes talking about games that are specifically made for kids or products that are made for kids, talking about just sort of general principles for how to approach the idea or um, adapting other games or choosing games to use with kids. A lot of people on the group are um, parents. I'd say that's the largest group, but there are other mm. people like me who maybe do or don't have kids, but they work like as a librarian or a after-school yeah. um, program coordinator or a summer camp coordinator, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so they're on there too, and we all just swap ideas and talk about when new cool things come out and ask questions. And um, it's a very uh, friendly little community that everybody should check out. And it's just yeah on Facebook, RPGs for Kids. Cool. Yeah, we'll pu- I'll put a link in the show notes. 
So how how did you get into running games for kids? Because I, I know you don't have kids yourself, and I feel like that's a lot of people's gateway into looking for games for kids or running games with kids in them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I got into it because, like I mentioned, my day job involves uh, people of all ages, but you know I have more contact with elementary and high school and middle school kids than than the average non-parent, I guess, um, <laughs> because of my work in education. And really, the way that I got into running the table I run weekly at a comic book store called First Aid Comics in Hyde Park, Chicago, the coolest little comic book store, um, nice. is that I was going to play Dungeons & Dragons myself. I was unemployed, and I was bored. Um, I was, in fact, a little depressed, and the only thing getting me out of the house for a while was going to this weekly Dungeons & Dragons game. Aww. And um, there was also a table being run by a woman who was about my age, who I was sort of acquainted with, and she ran this table for kids. And I literally happened to be in the store one day when I overheard her talking to the store manager about, oh, I'm sad because I'm moving to Canada and I won't be able to run the kids game anymore. And I basically just like waltzed up and said, hey, I can, you know, make funny faces in front of nine-year-olds for a while. I could run that. And here I am three years later. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it always been uh, Dungeon World? Uh, no, actually, it started as, well, I'm trying to remember what exactly the very first thing we were doing was. I think it was, I think the old Dungeon Master was running D&D 4th Edition, and I was like, I am oh, not gosh. excited by that. Um, <laughs> and it was right at that time that 5th Edition was going through its playtesting. At the time, it was called D&D Next. And so I mm-hmm. um, got the playtesting material, and we used that for a few months, and then we used D&D 5th Edition for... I don't know, a year or something like that. And then I decided to switch to Dungeon World um, for a bunch of reasons that we could talk about. Um, the biggest one is just that, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask all these kids to buy a $60 reference book that yeah. many of them didn't really have the sort of library or literary skills to really know how to negotiate. I think some people forget that, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons books, a lot of role-playing game books are basically just very pretty reference documents, right? And so mm-hmm. for someone who's, <laughs> you know, not out of high school or not even out of, just barely out of elementary school, you know, those are mm-hmm. hard to navigate without knowing the ins and outs of really even a table of contents or an index or mm-hmm. the idea that things will have headings and subheadings and categories and things like that, right? Um, oh, man. So the cost was one thing, but also just the, you know, the there was all of this information that we were trying to ne- negotiate and, you know, I was playing Dungeon World with friends of mine, and, you know, all the information you need to play that game as a player is on one or two sheets of paper. That is, in my opinion, more easier for the kids to sort of navigate and get their heads around. It was still a learning curve, but they, you know, I could be like, here, it's all here. We don't have to flip through this book a bunch, it's just read this part right here. And, and I found that that um, has been a lot smoother of an experience. Very cool. Are there any other benefits that you've noticed to like running Dungeon World as opposed to like Dungeons and Dragons? Sure. Well, some people, when I say this, um, people who are basically fans of Dungeon World uh, say things like, oh, does it make the role playing better or whatever? And I don't know if that's true. I mean, these are kids. They're the best role players out there, right? Um, they will take anything and go to wild and wacky and fun places with it. And so, it, you know, I don't have to sit around asking them to come up with interesting ideas and tell fun stories, which is what I think a lot of mm-hmm. people 
think that Dungeon World is going to do better. Um, however, I do think that after the little learning curve, um, I think the kids now have a better sense of what all the rules are. I think the rules are a little bit more sort of digestible to them. And so mm -hmm. they are the ones who've been playing for at least a while, you know, really kind of know the system now and can anticipate what's happening and know what's going on um, in a way that I, you know, don't get me wrong. Certain kids will 100% be able to gobble up a Dungeons and Dragons book and, and, and tell you every rule and every nuance of it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the kids on my table, um, I think that they are able to use Dungeon World more effectively, really mechanically, because they know the sort of breadth of the mechanics. What has the turnover been like with your group? In terms of what? Uh, so, like, you've been running it for three years. Do you have uh -huh. kids that, um, like, are you playing with the same group that you started with? So, kids come and go. Um, there have been one or two really loyal people. Um, there have been a few people that I've more or less sort of graduated um, mm -hmm. with negotiating with them. But, you know, basically, you know, someone who gets older. And it's not like the day yeah. they turn 14, I'm going to kick them out. But, um, you know, you just notice that their interests are sort of going elsewhere. They might start feeling like they're kind of at the kids' table, and they don't really want to be at the kids' table anymore. You know, so at mm -hmm. that time is generally when I um, start asking them things like, you know, hey, do you have books for games that you want to play? Do you have friends that you want to introduce this sort of game to? That sort of thing, right? Um, so far as to one time I even, you know, had a meeting at a young girl's house with her and her parents and sort of talked to her about how to, um, how to dungeon master and how to set up her own group. Cause she was really excited oh to keep God. going, but you know, didn't want to be at the kid's table. That's so cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there, and so there are people who have been around for years, a few people come for a month or two and then leave, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of variance. Okay. Which I guess is is par for the course with a, a, a group like that in a meeting in a shop. Yeah, definitely. Um, do they seem to like roll with that pretty well? Like people coming and going? Oh yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the kids have made really good friendships through this and, and keep friends with kids who don't necessarily stick around for all, for all time. I think kids are really used to that sort of thing. You know, the sort of constant churn of every school year. Sometimes it feels like you have a new classroom and new, new friends and mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah, they're not, they're not bothered by it. And the kids are always, although there is occasional light teasing, of course, among them, uh, you know, they're always ready. You know, there's a new, new, new person shows up. There's never any like clickishness. It's like, all right, you know, FYI, we're all wizards and we're trapped underground and we're seeking Dracula. So <laughs> get ready, <laughs> like catch up, <laughs> let's go, you know, that sort of thing. It's awesome. fun. We had, I had a problem about turnover. So, I don't know, a year, a real time year ago, I did something dastardly and I trapped them in the future. You know, so they're playing Dungeon mm -hmm. World, so they're in this fantasy Europe sort of place, but suddenly they're in the same geographic area, but it's a thousand years in the future. And instead of mm -hmm. dragons and horses, there are spaceships and robots, right? And they've spent the last year roaming around in the future trying to get back. And I realized too late that so many of the kids had turned over, then we were, were going to have the big, like, and now you get back to the past moment. Many of them had never been in the past and actually oh, were no. playing characters like native to the future. And so now, now we have future characters trapped in the past, which has been hilarious and weird and oh. fun. And they all just roll with it. They're like, whatever. And if something doesn't make sense, they just roll their eyes at me and come up with something much more funny and interesting than I would ever come up with. And we go forward. That's awesome. 
since taking over this group, you've changed the system. You've played with some other games and things like that. Uh-huh, Have you uh-huh. ever uh, find, found yourself changing the game itself to work better with kids or to make it more understandable or to just make it more fun? Yeah, definitely. The... Um... As you say, I have modified the gaming scenario in that I changed the system, but then I've done a few other things to change it up a little bit. For example, um, the Dungeon World character sheets have a little bit of like equipment on them, and then a little bit of space to write down other stuff. And I found that the kids were not really good at imagining what their character might have on them. Right? Because one of the interesting things about running games with kids is that one of the ways that they are able to make up interesting things is because they don't always know the genre conceits that we would sort of, we adults might come to, come to the table with, right? So you're like, okay, you're in sort of fantasy Europe and it's like the Lord of the Rings and, you know, uh, something else, right? And Conan, mm. right? And they're like, we don't really know what that means. So anyway, I'm a, I'm a lollipop monster, and also I have a bazooka, you know? <laughs> and also I have a thousand bazookas, because why not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a long way to say that they you know, have, don't have a good sense of what they could possibly have on their body. So anyway, I uh-huh. gave them, I found online a, a sort of equipment sheet, which is more like it has little sort of uh, slots that you can like draw mm-hmm. or put the word of items in it. So there's like a belt pouch and a f- backpack pouch and a water skin okay. and things like that. And so instead, and so I've supplemented their character sheets with those sheets um, just to give them a better sense of what they really have. So that when they're like, okay, I pull my bazooka out, I'm like, all right, and like, where's that bazooka on your inventory sheet? And I found that with the bigger, <laughs> with the bigger sort of slot style inventory that they've they've learned to have a better kind of grasp of that kind of thing, right? You know, if something's really big, it takes up two slots, and they're like, oh, but that means I have to get rid of my thing, you know? I kept, that means mm-hmm. I have to get rid of my crystal crown if I want to take the bazooka with me, and I'm like, indeed, we have to make choices here, right? Um, so mm-hmm. that's one, one big thing I've done. Um, I also, this is less exactly about the system, but I um, give them a lot of tools to keep notes with, and I make the keeping of notes part of the game by like, you know, in dungeon world as in other apocalypse world games, I think you get um, XP points when you, mm-hmm. when you fail disastrously at something. Um, mm-hmm. And you've also get that when you, you know, successfully follow your alignment. And when you successfully resolve a bond, you know, you sort of interact with another player character in a specific way. Right. So they also get um, XP points for, note-keeping and map-keeping. At the beginning of each game, I have one of them summarize the last session, um, and they get an XP point for that, right? And sometimes one person is very capable of giving the summary, and sometimes it turns into a group effort, and sometimes I remind people what what a summary is and things like that. Um, (laughs) And so so I've incorporated those kinds of bookkeeping tasks into, into my Dungeon World game in a way that's not really there, like, written in the book. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I, I kind of want to steal that for my adult players. Just like, who can tell me what <laughs> yeah. happened last time? <laughs> Somebody please tell me you were awake. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the summaries are definitely like, well, I definitely did this really cool thing, and I've totally forgotten why I was doing it, or what happened afterwards, or what happened to any other players, but but let me tell you about the cool thing I did. And I have to be like, okay, like that's great. Now, who can add to that? <laughs> who can remind us why we're in the cave seeking Dracula? 
that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, there was a reason. Hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and what are our goals, and why are we here, and, oh, right, we're trapped in the future, and we're trying to get home. Oh, right, we totally all forgot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were just so excited to come and smash stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there parts of the, like, the role-playing experience, the, the game-playing experience, that they latch onto more than other parts? Like, helping to tell these stories as opposed to inventory management is clearly not something they're interested in or, or um, mm-hmm. particularly adept at, like, as opposed to adult players. Well, I think that, really, kids come to the table with various interests, just like adult players do. So there are mm-hmm. kids who are quieter, there are kids who are really talkative. There are um, kids who really do get into things like, you know, inventory management or get so excited about what kind of armor they're wearing, you know, and sort mm-hmm. of they're playing kind of imaginary dress up, right? Their character is more or mm-hmm. less a kind of paper doll, an imaginary paper doll. And then there are other kids who are really into combat and they're like, yo, John, you... Uh, forgot that I get this bonus when I do this to this thing. And I'm like, oh, you're totally right. Yes, you do. Okay. And there are other kids who are like, I don't care. I'm writing a dragon. And then a week later, they're like, I'm making a new character. And now I'm a dragon. Now I'm a dragon slayer. You know, that sort of thing. So I think there's as much variance on that aspect as there are um, with okay. adults. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. An important thing when working with the kids is to keep in mind sort of that they are all simultaneously kids and kind of interchangeable in that sense and yet they are all also intensely individual and have their own yeah. proclivities and the, the their own things that make them happy you know and there are just like with adults mm-hmm. there are ways that you can negotiate with this kid or things that that kid mm-hmm. will buy or things that that kid will will accept as a sort of wager or a consolation or a <laughs> whatever right well this kid over there is like no like the rule says you know and all that all that kind of stuff Oh, good. A tiny rules lawyer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I guess that's part of that age group, too, as they are figuring out who they are and what they like. This is a pretty cool way to experiment with that, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And and, I, and it's fun to see those interests of theirs change over time. Yeah. Um, you know, I oh, see yeah? kids go through puberty, or at least sort of some of the beginning stages of puberty, right? Um, oh, boy. And I'm not saying that they like, you know, matters of sex and sexuality explicitly necessarily are coming up in the game more but I just mean that, you know, I see them during a really transitionary, transitional period of their lives, you know? And so there are kids who show up, and when they first get there, they're sort of personalities like this, and they kind of approach things like that, and a year later, they're like totally different people. Um, which is oh, wow. part of the reason, part of the fun of working with that age group. Do matters of sex and sexuality come up in the games at all? They do, not a whole lot. My favorite anecdote um, mm-hmm. about this is when we... Okay, so the party was a lawn gnome, two warrior cow people. I think someone was a floating walrus or a a floating manatee, excuse me, a floating manatee. Okay. And, you know, there was a wizard we needed some info from. And so we're going up to the wizard's keep and we get there and there are these two, um, you know, lizard people women who I call Lursa and Bator. And, (laughs) And this one kid who's playing a cow warrior... Hugh walks up to them and he's like, okay, I, you know, we've got to get past them. So let's talk to them and get past them. And I say, well, they cross their halberds at you and say, you cannot pass here, you ruffians, whatever. And he says, well, I I bat my eyes at them and I start to flirt with them. And I'm like, all right, go for it. And he, he sort of like stops 
his like de- character demeanor drops, he looks at me and he goes, "Uh, I've never really flirted with anyone before, so how does this work?" <laughs> oh, no. Right? Right? And I said, "You know, you've just got to try, and then we'll roll for it yeah. and see how it goes." Right? And he did something hilarious, and we rolled for it, and it worked, and they got up to the wizard and whatever. Right? But I think it points out that you know. Just like they don't know the genre conceits, they don't know all of the, like, you know, scripts that we adults have, right? They've probably never mm-hmm. dated anyone. They've probably, they've never been, you know, drinking at a bar, you know? They've never, mm-hmm. they've never got a drink at a tavern. And here they are playing Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, right? So how does <laughs> that work? What do various things taste like that they've never had? And so anyway, all of that's a way of saying, like, yeah, this this sort of adult stuff comes up, and we negotiate it as it comes, right? You know, I don't... This It's never really happened that a, a character has wanted to have, like, a romantic relationship with either another PC or another... or an NPC. That's never really happened, um, except for, you know, little flirty moments and things like that. But if it was going to happen, I think, I, I think we would go for it and see how it worked out. You know, and part of, you know... Part of my job is always being there, being in the game and being the GM, but I'm also always kind of like the adult in the room, and so I occasionally do come in with like, hey, like, let's, let's back up from that a little bit, or maybe, maybe let's not do this. For example, the issue of alcohol comes up all the time. Because oh, they've yeah. seen, you know, they've seen a movie with a dwarf in it, and they know that they're drinking all the time in the tavern and all this, right? So they want to do that. And I, um, I don't think everybody who runs an RPG with kids does it this way, but everybody in my fantasy world, uh, they drink root beer and ginger beer nice. and, and different things like that. And that's my choice, right? And I've sort of evolved on that over time, right? Um, I don't really... if one, You know, one of, one of the classic characters that people want to play is kind of the drunk, and I, re- mm-hmm. I kind of steer them away from that sort of thing, right? I'm like, oh, no, let's not do that. Let's play, let's play something a little bit more PG than the sort of town drunk. <laughs> Not to mention that town drunks are terrible characters to play, <laughs> everyone. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's funny for a little while, but then yeah. how might you steer somebody away from that? Like, has anybody ever been so dead set on it, or are they pretty open to suggestion? You know, there's some negotiation that definitely happens. I, you know, sometimes it just comes down to me putting my foot down, that, that being it. You know, I have, I have to be the adult. If I'm, un- if I'm uncomfortable with something, you know, if I think someone's parent's going to walk in the room and not, not like what's going on or, or I myself am making that decision, you know, I just say, you know, we, you know, we're playing, you know, for fun and, and we're, and, you know, we're kids and, you know, that's sort of an adult thing. So we're going to not go there. So how about in, you know, it sounds like maybe if you want to play the, this sort of drunken character, maybe you're just playing someone who's, like, chaotic. So what are other ways that your character could be chaotic? Which might be a sort of moment for us to talk about the alignment system again, and what, what these words like neutrality and chaotic and lawful all mean, and talk about that, right? And so it's that, you know, we sort of talk about it out of character. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's some of the adult themes, I guess, that could come up. What about violence? Oh yeah, so violence, com- violence, of course, comes up all the time. I mean, Dungeon World is a game that puts an axe in your hand and tells you to go bash people with it, right? Um, yeah. I don't worry so much about the violence. I used to worry a lot about it when I first started. I was like, oh no, like, oh, I don't know. But I think that this sort of fantasy violence, cartoon violence, it's there, right? You know, my my monsters and things are more likely to sort of hilariously vomit on you than they are to rip your bowels mm-hmm. out with their with their claws, you know? 
And the kids, you know, the kids' violence is, is similarly cartoony, I think, just sort of naturally, right? I mean, it's occasionally there's some blood and guts and gore, but um, mm-hmm. either in a way that's so over the top, like in a cartoon, that it's just sort of, you know, you just start giggling at it. Or not always. But yeah, so we so we go for it. I, you know, I, I make it over the top. A lot of it's really slapstick, you know. In my games, you know, people don't really die. They just sort of like, you know, get conked on the head and collapse and wake up later and run away. And I have lots of people, lots and lots of people run away in my, in my games because of that. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, I'm thinking of a, now a, a, an early time. We were in a marketplace, maybe in Baldur's Gate or something, and a giant scorpion tailed mammoth creature erupted, you know, emerged there and we were fighting it. And a kid turns to me and he says, well, I, I take my dagger and I cut out its butthole. And I was like, uh, 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 because, you know, on the one hand, this is like this kind of kid cartoony violence. On the other hand, like, is this a kind of, is this approaching some sort of sexual violence? You know? Yeah. I'm not sure about that, you know? And I think that at the time I got more worried about it than I should have been. But I basically said like, eh, like... Maybe let, you know, maybe I think I was, I was a little too prudish about it. I don't know. I go back and forth on it every time I think about this sort of anecdote. But, you know, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, ah, oh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Maybe let's, maybe let's not go there. I might have said something like, let's yeah. not, let's not concentrate on people's like genitalia, things like that. Let's come up with a different <laughs> way to sort of fantasy murder this creature, you know? Um, now, now I don't know if I would be so concerned with that because I think that to a nine-year-old boy, maybe the word butthole is just funny, you know? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but so I go back Definitely. on that. Yeah. But yeah, it, do, it does come up. And you know, too, so because I work with other people's kids and not my kids, every time there's a new kid, I ask the parent, you know, I we, we sort of go on like a first date, right? Um, okay, yeah. Maybe that's a bad metaphor. But <laughs> what I mean is like, like we go on a trial run. I invite them to come. They, and I and I expect their parent to stay there during the session um, that first time, you know, sometimes parents come, you know, a lot of times parents just drop off the kids. Sometimes the parents are sort of like wandering around the store we're in or whatever for a while. But I'm like, no, I want you to sit in the room in a chair right next to us and like pay attention to the game. And the reason I do that is to make sure that the parents are okay with all of these kinds of concerns, right? About violence and stuff, right? You know, I don't want someone to drop off their kid and then three weeks into their kids loving Dungeons and Dragons for them to show up and be like, there are angels and demons and monsters in this? No, that's totally inappropriate. Oh, Satan worshiping. I'm not really worried about that Mm -hmm. exactly. But, you know, they might have concerns about fantasy violence or they might have concerns about any of the other random things that can come up, right? And so I say, like, you know, come see it. See it in action. See how I handle things. And then, you know, if you want to opt out, because you're like, ooh, I don't really like that you're, you know, smashing goblins, then they can make that decision for themselves, right? And it sounds like that hasn't really come up for you yet. Like, everybody's pretty cool? Everybody's been very chill. Everybody's been very chill. Cool. But, you know, it will only take one person to freak out for me to say, ah, I'm glad I did this, you know? Yeah. Do many of the parents, like, I mean, coming to this kind of sh- kind of store, do they seem like they've played themselves or like they're kind of into this sort of thing? Or I don't have a, I don't have numbers, but I, it, to me it feels like it's sort of half and half. Sometimes it's, I think it's always kid-driven that they heard about it, they think it will be interesting. Um, you know, everything that in my group is word of mouth. So it's either, you know, they know somebody from church or um, whatever, 
And so they've, they've come. Half the time, the parents are like, oh, yeah, I used to play long ago. I really liked it. You know, I heard that there was the store. I asked about it. I asked them if they were interested, and they said, sure. And the other half is um, the parents are like, I don't really know about this, but they seemed really excited, so here I am. Yeah, half and half. Cool. One of the things you mentioned you wanted to, to talk about before we got started was uh, games as, like, school programs or after-school mm-hmm. programs or... Have you worked with that at all? We're like, like doing games in schools or after school. Well, I guess this is kind of an after school thing, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so really, I consider what I do sort of an after school program, right? It's not, it's not listed in any after school program manuals or anything like that. I don't really advertise it like that, and it is just us playing this game. But I approach it as an educator, you know, coming from my job mm-hmm. and my background and that sort of thing. I approach it with that in mind, you know, um, and. Like I mentioned on the Facebook group, there are tons of people who are coming in from other other educational places, teachers and librarians and program coordinators and things like that. Um, I think that role-playing games are great educationally for a lot of reasons. I think that play as a methodology for learning is in itself a fantastic way to, to learn many things. And then role-playing games are especially good at, you know, social and emotional learning, um, you know, learning how to tell collaborative stories. You know, there's tons of adult-ass people who don't know how to do that. And and there's mm-hmm. so much cooperation and collaboration that goes on around the table um, as we're telling these stories together and sort of imagining this world that, uh, you know, it can be a really great boon for really any kid, but especially kids who might be sort of shy and are coming out of their shell or a kid who is um, even, like, kind of mean and kind of likes to talk over other people, and this can teach them, you know, the value of sort of listening and and, and working together, things like that. Um, but then also, like, we do... I don't know if they're quite algebra equations or something like that, but in our heads all the time while we're sitting there. it's It's got these computational elements. It's got... Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of math literacy that's learned... I earlier talked about all the kind of like book literacy. I mean, the the kind of book skills, library skills that come from you know manipulating all these sheets of paper and finding the information and 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 thinking like, oh, there's a rule for this. Oh, it references this other thing. I should I have to go get this other piece of paper, pick it up, look at it, find the information on it. Okay, now I apply that back to the thing I was thinking about. You know, so that kind of information is. You know, it seems pretty obvious to us adults, but for someone as as a kid, that's some like complicated thinking and a complicated process they're going through to to negotiate all of this, right? And also, like we talk about vocabulary words left and right, we talk about history, we talk about, um, you know, sort of in in a in a in a certain kind of way, like mythology and folklore. We're talking about storytelling. We're talking about literature, all at once. Like, what's not yeah. great about that? Hello. That's it's it's a it's a perfect storm of of learning and having fun, right? And so, yeah, I think that they, you know, running games with kids, if they're role playing games or even you know any other kinds of kids, are really are really the way to go uh, educationally. And so it's sad that we live in such a a time when education is testing focused and things like that, which is the opposite of play and the opposite of learning. You know, if if people are curious about the idea of starting a group or or maybe like arguing in favor of a of a game club or game night or using games in a classroom or something. Um, mm-hmm. One sort of piece of advice that I would give is to pull out your 
whatever the state or regional standards are for learning for the age group, and mm-hmm. just make a list of which of these standards line up with what happens in your role-playing game, right? So a lot of the um, state standards and things like that, or federal standards, are things like finding evidence and making an inference on that evidence, you know, being able to discuss the parts of a story, being able to do all those things I just listed for you. Those are all there listed in the state and other kinds of standards for learning. And so if you, you know, you go to a principal at a school and they give you a sort of hairy eyeball about like, you want to do what in, in an after school program? You can just like <laughs> slap down this, uh, you know, huge list of mm-hmm. all of the sort of learning goals that you can hit with playing role playing games. So that's where I would sort of start with that kind of thing. That's awesome. That is a great uh-huh. place to yeah. start. Um, did you have something specific you want to talk about um, with learning styles? Or did that kind of cover? So about learning styles, one of the great aspects of play as a kind of learning is that it well accommodates different kinds of learning styles. And what I mean by learning styles are like how, you know, some people, adults and kids, you know, prefer to learn by, you know, getting their hands dirty and taking stuff apart and putting it back together. Or they prefer learning through reading about stuff. Or they prefer learning through through listening or hearing. You know, if you think about yourself, you know, do you prefer to listen to audiobooks or do you prefer to sit in a corner and read? That's sort of, um, or do you prefer to sit, sit around doing math problems all day, right? These are kind of indicative of, of learning styles um, in the kind of educational sense. And everybody can do all of these things, generally speaking. But people have sort of natural proclivities, maybe, for what they would prefer to do and how they feel that they learn best. Like, I'm definitely a, you know, I'm putting up a tent, and there's this long list of instructions, and I will read it ten times and not be able to figure out what it's talking about with all this Mm -hmm. stuff. But if you give me a well-made chart, and I get the information sort of visually, well, I can figure that out very simply and get that tent up in 20 seconds, right? So that's all learning styles. So play has this wonderful capacity for kind of cradling a lot of learning styles all at once because we are we're being verbal but we're being visual as we act things out we're being kinesthetic as we move around um you know things are often you know they're written down and able to be read and looked at but they're also being spoken aloud so and you know there's the kind of agency of a player who gets to approach these things in the ways that they feel best right it's not it's you know Play allows for all of these different things as opposed to someone, you know, putting down from on high, okay, everybody at the table, we're all going to do this all in this way. And this is the only way we're going to do it, right? And so, you know, kids will come to your table with very distinctive kind of learning styles and learning considerations, right? Um, Going back to the what kinds of players are kids, you know, um, kids with math proclivities might be really interested in combat. They might not, but maybe they are, you know, and things like that. And so just as you are Thinking about playing with kids, again, like what I said earlier, kids are always all kids, but they're also always simultaneously themselves. So you can think about their their learning styles. And that might mean something like, you know, um, maybe you decide that certain th- – you're going to make sure that occasionally – you're going to put minis down on a map and move them around because that appeals to somebody in your group's particular kind of learning style, right? You know, my GMing style leans really heavily into sort of fantasy of the mind, you know, uh, theater of the mind. Uh, you know, it's all just happening in our head, right? 
but that's the sort of strength of mine and, and of other people. Um, and I found early on that I had one or two players who were really like, hey, now, this is all fine, but I really want some of the, a little bit more crunch, and I really want a little bit more of the tacticity of having the, the things to move around and to treat it a little bit more like a board game. So I found myself, as a GM, kind of teaching myself how to lean a little bit in that direction, even if just sort of occasionally, to be able to sort of accommodate and, and hold on to, uh, or, or maybe I should say to sort of broaden the the learning styles that were being included in the play that I was doing, right? I think that play kind of lends itself to holding a bunch of kinds of that, but then also as the GM or educator, you know, finding ways to incorporate the possibilities of, of an inclusion of more more learning styles, things like that. And that's also, um, I'll just speak briefly on this, that's also part of thinking through neurodiversity in your, in your group. You know, um, is anyone in your group, including you, Possibly, you know, are they on the autism spectrum? Um, do they have any other sort of disability, mental or physical, that you uh, need to design your experiences and design the layout of your club to really to be the best that it can be for everyone at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so learning styles is another thing you need to think through while you're thinking through those kinds of considerations for your group and your table and your hospitality and your welcoming and your accessibility and all of that. Like we, we've mentioned on this show and like everywhere else, I feel like before, but just having those different types of, in this case, like learning styles, so just having those different types of perspectives, I feel like builds for a much richer experience for everyone who's playing that game. Definitely, definitely. So um, do you find, I mean, you mentioned before that the, the group kind of builds out because kids are talking to other kids about it. Do you mm-hmm. have to do any work um, to encourage diversity of, of all kinds with this group, or do they just sort of do that? Um, I have done some explicit work. I, um, I say that I practice aggressive affirmative action when it comes to my, to my group. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of demographics of the group have, have changed and sort of ebbed and flowed over the years because of exactly what you said, because, you know, one kid invites their friend who invites their friend who invites their friend, right? And so you get, if you're not paying attention, you can get a kind of a lot of the same kind of person is all suddenly in front of Mm -hmm. you, right? So for example, in my area, I live on the south side of Chicago. I live near um, the big university here, the University of Chicago. And there is a lot of public schools, which are primarily um, Latino and African-American, sort of racially speaking. And then there is the big private school, which is part of the university, which is overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly very affluent, right? Mm-hmm. And I have had times where I've had kids from both of those schools or both of those kinds of schools, right? And one day I looked looked around and I said, wow, I'm running another another after-school program for a lot of very privileged children, Right. I mean, this is the school. I'm talking specifically about the school that the Obamas, the Obama children, used to go to. Is the school that I'm talking about? Oh, wow. Um, and so I was like, you know, these kids are lovely, and I love them to death, and they're so smart and so funny. But I'm going to make sure that my group is more diverse. And so we basically have a waiting list. And frankly, if you uh, went to that school, you were less high up on the waiting list, <laughs> you know, and things like that. Um, I've also yeah. take, taken it into consideration um, about sort of gender diversity. Um, mm-hmm. because this is, of course, not always the truth, but generally speaking, I've learned, you know, boys will invite boys and girls will invite girls. And yep. so I have also practiced that aggressive affirmative action of, you know, even if kind of all our seats are filled and um, for a while I was like, we've got to get another um, young girl or someone who is non-binary or, or just, just sort of a, a, 
a different a different kind of gender diversity in this group, right? Um, and so I was like, you know, no, I don't have another room for another boy, but if any young girl walks in here, I'm going to pull up a chair, and even if it kills me to try and run <laughs> for this huge group, I'm going to get them in the chair so that we could do this, so get them involved, right? Um, and I yeah. also did, I um, talked to the store owner and put up put up signs that were saying, hey, something like, hey, are you a young adventurer who happens to be a girl or a non-binary person? Are you interested in joining a game? Um, and yeah. I got a few contacts out of that, and 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 currently my my group is not 50-50, but much closer than it has been at some times. Although at some, there's been other times when it's been all girls, so so it changes. But yeah, oh, I, wow. I I definitely I definitely keep a keep an eye on it. Cool, that's good. I encourage everyone to do so. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just it makes for better stories for everyone. Like it it's, does. It's, oh my gosh, it it's does. It's so good. Uh, you were mentioning one of the one of the girls that you graduated uh, earlier, to, mm-hmm. uh, talking to her and her parents about getting her ready to run games for her friends and stuff. Do you often like help these kids run games? Um, do they ever run games for the group? So, this is something that uh, I'm evolving on right now. I um I have done a little bit of teaching older kids sort of how to do it, and then kind of let them give them the basic skills, and then sort of let them do what they do their thing. Right? Um, I've done that a few times. Because people are like, hey, John, like my kid's really interested in this thing, and they don't know how to do it, and they're like 15, and they've got some friends who want to do it. Will you like come by the house one day and kind of give them some pointers and do that? I've done that a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. Cool. So I currently don't have the kids in my regular group GM or run games very often. We have occasionally sort of dabbled in it. Um, mostly that happens when, like, you know, I'm thinking of one time when, like, totally randomly, like, only two kids showed up. Maybe there was a storm that day or something, but, like, way lower attendance than we normally have. So I basically said, like, hey, why don't you guys, why don't we flip the script and you guys sit here right now, come up with an adventure, and run me through it, and you guys DM. Um, And that was super fun, and they, they had a good time about that. I think of, you know, GMing as not, like, an identity. I don't think, you know, someone, like, evolves into a GM, like they're becoming a... Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're not becoming a wiggly tough suddenly, <laughs> you know, um, jamming is a yeah. set of skills and you can learn some of those skills and have some of those skills in play at certain times and other things. Right. So I do try to build within them sort some of what I think of like the core skills of being a jam, even if they're not really running the game. So for example, things like when I'm having them do the note taking or doing the summarizing, um, or things like that. Right. I think those are kind of GM skills that I'm kind of building up to. However, I have recently decided, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this yet, but I have recently decided that I am going to try and prepare them to GM much more because I want to make it more like a model where I'm the adult in the room, kind of giving pointers and walking around the table and sort of thinking through ideas with people while they are playing amongst themselves because... I just think it would be super fun. You know, I've been I've been kind of running the games for a few years and you know, that, therefore all the stories kind of more or less come out of somewhere some part of my brain with a hefty dose mm-hmm. of their, you know, playing involved in it and I ask them questions and and get them involved in the world building all the time. But I'm the one who like thinks for 15 minutes beforehand like, "Okay, well, if we need to get from point A from point B, we're going to need to have a boat." Okay, therefore we need a port city. Okay. Who are some NPCs to populate that? Uh, okay, you know. Uh-huh. 
And so, and so, like I said, I'm not sure how, but I think that's such an important skill that I'm just now trying to think through how to do that. But on the other hand, like, do I pick one kid to to be a GM for three weeks? Well, okay, but is that going to sit well with the other kids? How is that going to be fair? You know, what if, frankly, yeah. they're no good at it? And how do how do we how do we go through that learning process together? Is I guess really what I mean, you know. Um, in a way that's not making the whole experience less fun for the players, right? Mm-hmm. And and I haven't I haven't really wrapped my brain around all of that yet. But that's my goal is to do to do more of that to let them get behind the screen sometimes, some cool. more, much more often. Yeah. Yeah. If people have thoughts about that, I would love to hear them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe that Same. you yeah. know I'm kind of just thinking aloud right now, but maybe that means co GMing for a while. Maybe like, you know. Oh my god, I'm, ha- I'm kind of having this thought right well, here as you're, you're recording this. But what about, like, <laughs> if I'm, like, every week I'm like, okay, next session, you, um, you know, Jamal, you are going to co-GM with me. So, you know, stay here for five minutes and we'll make some plans. And then next week we'll show up and you'll be with me. And then the next week it's a different kid. Maybe co-GMing is the way to go. Oh my gosh. Mind That blown. would be cool. And I'm Mind sure Darcy blown. Ross would love to talk about it. Hell yeah, she Darcy Ross, my dearest friend. Yes, yeah. she and I just uh, co-GM'd a game together for the very first time. It was so much fun. Oh, cool. What did you run? We ran a strange game. We meant to be, for it to be a four-shot. It turned into a, a mega session, a mega one-shot, really, with a mm-hmm. separate character creation time. But it was fun. It involved planet-eating aliens and dimension-hopping and... Um, we went to a world that was like a fantasy world, but it was more like you were playing through the tutorial stage of an MMORPG, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It was great. It was great fun. Kojiemi is something that, that I, as I was just saying, want to experiment in more. I found it tricky yeah. because some, you can't just like fall off the cliffs like you normally would. You know what I mean? You, you can't yeah. just be like, you can't just barrel forward. I mean, you can, but then you've got to be like, okay, but how is this relating to all the other things that's going on in that other person's brain? And why isn't their brain in my brain? I, yeah, I would be very side. curious to try it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a couple of listener questions. Cool. Uh, the first one is from Richard KL on Twitter. And he says, one question, how to deal with kids who don't deal with failure well? Teaching moment or fail forward? Good question. On Twitter, I my witty retort was to just mock them mercilessly and move on. Um <laughs> I kind of don't understand the question because I think that it, it being a teaching moment is a kind of failing forward. But, but how do I how do yeah. I deal with um, how do I deal with somebody being sour about something? Right. Um, one of the answers is that Dungeon World, the game we play, has a sort of built-in mechanism for this, which is that if they fail something, they get an XP for it. Right. So you fail, but you get a little bit of a benefit. And I um, have also, you know, in certain moments, said. Well, you know, that really didn't work out, um, you know, but maybe I have in the past done a little bit of bribing with experience points, and that happens, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's always a tension between... <laughs> That's a mechanic in some game. Like... <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it is. But, you know, it's a, um, it's a tension between taking the time to sort of step back from the game and have that teaching moment of, you know, well, the reason I'm really consider, you know, the reason... You know, Henry, the reason that I'm not letting you do X, Y, and Z is because of these reasons. That's fine, but is that detracting from the fun that everybody else is having? And is that bringing everything to a grinding halt? And suddenly I've got six kids who are all distracted and running around and are 
jumping up to go get a soda and all that, right? But failure, I say that we f- fail forward. If I had to make a choice, the, that I try to fail forward. If I can, if I can fit a, a a learning moment in there, excellent. But you know, partial successes or which is another built-in dungeon world mechanic, which is beautiful for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know that that was a very well thought out answer, but no, that's great. So much of it is. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? What is happening at the moment? How many children are screaming at me currently? Yeah. And what can I fit in? What can I fit in? Yeah. God, if we get a learning moment in the midst of all that, that that's a Amazing. ideal. Mm-hmm. Just make the screaming stop. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh-huh. I, I try oh, cool. to make them not scream all the time. A little bit is good, but maybe not all the time. So the other question that we have is, it's from Origami Samurai on Reddit, who I am 95% sure is also Richard. Um, <laughs> and his question is, um, what lessons can adults, uh, can adult GMs and game designers take from games specifically designed for kids? And I don't know if you have had much interaction with Games that are specifically designed for kids, like the the one that comes to my mind is No Thank You Evil, but I'm sure there are others uh-huh. that are great. Well, that's you know that's the one I was going to bring up too because I think that that company and especially Shauna Germain um, on that mm-hmm. product really put a lot of thought into making a game that is accessible for children. You know, going back to that stuff I keep bringing up about um, the skills it takes to 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 use these mechanisms of a game of the book and all that. Right? No Thank You Evil has some design features that are really amazing. For example, it is the whole book is written in sort of tiers. I'm going to mess up exactly what the system is, but there are basically three tiers of complication um, that are, mm. I think, well kind of adjusted for developmental levels as kids age. You know, Again, a kid is always an individual, but they're always also kind of part of their age bracket as they are going through literal physiological changes in their body as they grow up, right? And they're also doing things like learning to read, learning to count and do math <laughs> at different ages, right? And so No Thank You Evil does a really good job of being like, great, you've got like, you're trying to play this game with a four-year-old? You can play this game if they can't read. I was a Gen Con and ran a No Thank You Evil game, and only partway through the game did I realize that the kids couldn't read, but they were doing it because oh. it, it involves enough symbols and color coding and color matching and, and things like that to be interpretable by by a very, very young kid. And then it grades up, right? You know, you have, you know, this very, this sort of very core mechanic for those, the youngest kids, and then another layer is added for like early readers, and then another layer of complication is added. And I think that's mm-hmm. just straight up amazing. Um, some kids' products that I see out there, I find to be kind of basically an adult product, but with a kind of kiddie, a kid focused story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe something that's like appropriate for an adult to read and ingest and then play through with the with the character, but I think No Thank You Evil does an excellent job of um, sort of being built up from the ground to be able to even be run by very young kids, and that was one of their goals, right? I'm also thinking of like Adventure Maximus, which does a lot, uh, is a little bit more like a board game. I've never actually played um, Adventure Maximus, but it is much beloved by the people on the Facebook group because it comes with so many touchables with tangible items that can be moved around and 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 bits of a map that are that are like I said like a like a board game right and so that's very well suited for a lot of kids who um have a variety of learning styles and want that sort of kinesthetic element and things like that yeah yeah awesome yeah 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 those are 
those are all things I would totally love to see in adult games. Like uh-huh. I, I like yeah, yeah, yeah. touching things and playing with things and, and uh, especially that, um, that tiered system. Like there are some games that like I might like to play, but I do not want to read a 600 page book right now. So maybe give uh-huh. me the, the basic, the basic level yeah, yeah, and let yeah. me, let me try it out. That'd be cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So one other thing I wanted to ask you was, do you have any any tips or advice for people on how to pick games to run with kids? Uh, not necessarily games like we talked about that are meant for kids, but uh, if they wanted to run like Dungeons uh-huh. and Dragons or something, but, um, how, how to evaluate, I guess, game systems for use in running with kids? I think the answer is think really hard about how old your kids are, how old the intended audience is, right? And this can be complicated if you're playing with, you know, your kids and their cousins around the Thanksgiving table or something, right? And they have come from a variety of age groups. I really think that any, you know, barring some absurd outliers, right? I think that kids could possibly play any game that is designed, you know, designed for adults or designed for a generic audience. If there is an adult there that is excited and thoughtful about how to guide them through that process, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, the crunchier the game gets, the less accessible it's going to get to a lot of young children, right? You need to be aware of how much math can this kid do, you know? How can these Mm -hmm. kids do? How And Mm -hmm. how much enjoyment are they going to get if the session turns into one giant long combat while you flip through a bunch of books, right? You know, if you think fun with Excel spreadsheets is exciting, great, you know, go play some of those games out there. But think long and hard whether your kid wants to do that, you know? So, you know, that being said, like I like I said, I chose Dungeon World over Dungeons & Dragons because of the sort of, I thought it was kind of smaller in scale and more easily understandable by my kids, I think that if you're going to sit down with your five-year-old daughter and try to play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, that's great. And I know that a lot of people have a lot of fun um, doing that kind of thing. But, like, how much of that is your kid playing that game and how much is that you running running your kid's character sheet and they're just sort of a story generator, you know? So there's there's a lot of different angles to think through that. I really think it boils down to, do you have a system that you know how it runs? Do you think you can tell a funny story with some kids? Use that system, you know? Awesome. Pick a system that is not going to freak anybody out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I guess what I'm saying is like, don't, I would love to see someone try the Apocalypse World game for seven-year-olds. I would listen to the crap out of that actual play. But there's going to be some <laughs> deletions happening on the adult uh-huh. person's, you know, part, right? Obviously. And that's already a kind of modification, you know? Yeah. Mm. Which we are all about. That's about it that I had. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? <gasps> no, I think that's great. I think that's totally great. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, well, of course, I am findable through the RPGs for Kids Facebook page, which you should all come mm-hmm. join and tell everyone about. I'm also on Twitter at, at @cartwheel. But it's misspelled. It's C-A-R-T-W-E-E-L. There's no H. Because I came up with that handle when I myself was a child and misspelled it. Awesome. And and it's great because nobody has it. <laughs> right, right. If I ever go to a website and try to like sign up for something and it's like, this username is taken. I'm like, oh shit, I already have, a, I already have an account here. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that's where you can find me, and I and I would be thrilled to talk to people about um, running RPGs for kids and my experience. 
um, and my evolving experience about it. As you can see, a lot of my advice about the topic is a dive in the deep end and, and get to know your kids and f figure out what works best, but I think that's how the best educators approach any sort of learning with kids. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I want to keep the conversation going about it. Cool. I have a feeling people will take you up on that. Cool. Ooh. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yay! I agree. Thanks for having me on a whole bunch. Thanks again to John for being on, and as usual, you can find his links and the RPGs for Kids link in the show notes. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at ModifierPodcast, or at the headquarters at ModifierPodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>